Hello everyone and welcome to episode one of ND Inspo, where our mission is to connect, grow, and inspire naturopathic doctors and students from all over. My name is Dr. Kirsten Duet, and today I have on Dr. Jill Skernowitz, who is not only a naturopathic doctor, but she is also a practicing and registered nurse anesthetist. And so she is currently practicing in the hospitals uh, just to make you aware, today is March 29th, and we are in the midst of a COVID-19 or novel coronavirus pandemic, which is ever-changing, ever-evolving, and so I thought it was extremely timely and important to have on Dr. Jill Skernowitz to keep us updated and informed on the situation. And then also we're going to discuss things that naturopathic doctors can do to contribute during this ever-changing and uncertain time. And so I hope that you enjoy this episode and get a lot out of it. I know I did. And so here we go. If there's anything else that you would like our viewers to know about you, please go ahead and take a moment to just introduce yourself. Thank you, Dr. Kirsten DeWitt. I appreciate the um, introduction. Uh, as she said, I have been a nurse for quite a few years. I've been a nurse 25 years, and I've been doing anesthesia as a nurse anesthetist for the last 20 years. So I have been in Western medicine for quite some time. I graduated from medical school in 2017 uh, from NUHS, so I'm a licensed naturopathic doctor um, and have been in private practice uh, practicing naturopathic medicine uh, since then. So I have my foot in both, both worlds right now. So it's a very interesting time to be uh, existing in both. Uh, so I do have a bachelor's, a master's and a doctorate. So I have the advantage too of, of kind of having the different levels of education too, to interpret the data coming in right now with COVID-19 uh, that we're seeing. And there is quite a bit of misinformation out there. And I'm gonna, uh, apologize in advance. Um, it is very, very windy today. So both of our connections are kind of coming in and out. And if you hear something that sounds like a freight train outside my window, it's actually just the wind um, because it's absolutely incredible today. So anyway, I hope we have a good discussion. I hope that we can, we can teach you something here as we go. Yeah. So just to kind of begin, um, I think one of the big questions that still remains is, what is novel coronavirus and why is it such a big deal? It's a really great question. And I continue to hear on social media that it is flu. Um, it's not flu. Um, coronavirus is coronavirus and it causes an illness called COVID-19. It's by the SARS-CoV-2 virus. Um, there are other SARS viruses. There was a SARS outbreak in 2002, 2003. That was also at the time a novel outbreak. Novel meaning a new version of the virus that our bodies have, have not seen before. Um, not like a novel like you read, but a novel as in new. We have, our bodies hadn't seen it. And when novel viruses come around, it's a big deal because nobody has any kind of resistance to the infection because none of us have seen it. None of us have antibodies. Antibodies are what our bodies build up in response to infections that we've seen before. And so none of us have any protection. So when a novel virus comes through, it's significant for the population and especially those with comorbid conditions, meaning they have other medical conditions already. And then when a novel virus comes around, it can be more significant for those people because none of our bodies have seen it, but those of us who are 
healthy with robust immune systems have a little better chance fighting off any type of infection, whether it's, whether it's viral or bacterial. And those who have other medical conditions have a harder time fighting off infections, whether they're viral or bacterial. So the SARS-CoV-2 uh, infection is a bigger deal today, again, because none of us have seen it, and it's quite contagious. Uh, so we are seeing the numbers in the United States ramp up very quickly. One, because we're testing more. I, I will give you that. We're testing the infection more, so of course we're going to find more cases if we're doing more testing. But we've surpassed Italy, um, and we've surpassed, I think, China as well. At the, at the last I looked, um, we have... Let's see, 137,943 cases. The total cases in the world right now are 714,000. So um, the United States has kind of taken the lead here. So it's important to have a healthy respect um, for this novel virus that's circulating. I agree. And I think that knowing the numbers and just paying attention to how it is spreading throughout, not just the U.S., but throughout the world is so um, important just to stay informed on what is actually happening and the significance of it. Um, and so with that, I, I would love if you could just kind of enlighten us on how you've noticed things to kind of progress throughout these couple weeks, because um, just within these last two weeks, even we have seen such significant changes. We really have. And that three weeks, we have seen our cases at my hospital skyrocket. You know, there is a comparison to flu. So influenza viruses cause flu, right? So influenza causes flu. And COVID-19 causes coronavirus. Coronavirus causes COVID-19. So it's a family of viruses. And coronavirus is, people will say, well, it causes the common cold. And yes, the other forms of, there are many forms of this um, coronavirus that can cause things like the common cold. But what this virus causes is a severe respiratory pathology. So it affects the lungs to a greater degree than really our other organs. It does affect heart, it does affect uh, liver and kidneys and other organs, but really it affects the lungs to a really uh, profound effect. So in my hospital, we weeks ago we were tossing around well we might see this and now today I can pull up the active number of cases that my hospital does put out in a uh, media release so we have uh, total confirmed positive cases as of Saturday the 28th March 28th we have 1,718 cases uh, of positively confirmed COVID virus and we have deaths related to COVID-19 at just our institution, 49. Um, so that has gone up exponentially um, in just a couple of weeks. So a, a few weeks ago, we were still doing routine anesthetics. So nurse anesthetists, which is what my job in, is in the hospitals, we provide anesthetics for routine surgeries, emergency surgeries, C-sections. We get called to other departments for emergency intubations. Intubations means we put the breathing tube in patients when they have difficulty breathing. So that's our job as the first responders. So we didn't see, we were still doing routine cases in the operating room three weeks ago. Um, two weeks ago, we stopped doing routine cases, um, which meant we were conserving our resources for all of these patients coming in so that we could conserve our sedation, the drugs that we need to sedate patients, so that we could conserve every, the, our ventilators, our equipment, things that we might need uh, so that if the volume comes in like it had been, that we would have it. Um, so we get called uh, to first to, to respond to these respiratory emergencies. And we're seeing the numbers 
in a normal month, and I don't, I'd have to ask the chief of anesthesia what our actual numbers are to be specific, but we probably intubate maybe between 10 and 20 patients in a month. And last Monday night into Tuesday, we intubated 11 patients in less than 24 hours. So we're seeing this respiratory pathology, this significant difficulty breathing, right, for these patients increasing like nothing we've ever seen in medicine. And like I said, I've been a nurse over 25 years. I've been in anesthesia over 20 years. And it is like nothing we have ever seen before. So I don't want to say that to scare people, but, but it is a real, it is a real uh, thing. I know I hear people out there saying it's just trumped up and it's made up and it's not a real thing, but it is a real thing, whatever that thing is, whether it's COVID-19 or anything else that could be causing these people to get very sick, um, we are seeing them in large numbers. Now, mind you, the patients we're seeing in the hospital today are the sickest of the sick because everybody else we're sending back home. We don't want them in the hospital because we don't want them if they don't have COVID to get it. Um, coronavirus, you know, the coronavirus. We don't want them to pick it up at the hospital. So we're sending everybody who does not have severe symptoms back home to convalesce there. The unfortunate part is Western medicine doesn't have a lot to offer those patients at that point, right? What naturopathic medicine has at that point is, okay, you have symptoms, here's a list, a laundry list of things that you can do to optimize your immune system function. Are you going to prevent the coronavirus? Are you going to treat the coronavirus? No, but there's lots of research out there to show that we have things in naturopathic medicine that can help the body to function optimally. It's one of our belief systems, right? The determinants of health, optimizing the determinants of health, removing obstacles to cure. There's never been a time in history where that's more important than today. And unfortunately, these patients come into the emergency room, they do get diagnosed with coronavirus, or maybe not, they're still sick with all the symptoms, they get sent home, and they're just told to wait it out until it gets bad enough, and, until they require ventilatory assistance or emergency assistance, and then to come back in. And that's really sad. That's where the ball is being dropped today. And this is where we as naturopathic doctors can really shine in the science and study of prevention, which is what we studied in naturopathic medicine, right? Mm -hmm. So nobody's saying we can prevent COVID, but you know we can optimize the body's functioning so that we don't have to sit back and be a victim, right? Western medicine is really reactionary, right? We, we're, we send people home to wait until they get bad enough to come back in and then we're going to react to it. Whereas naturopathic medicine is very preventive. Let's do things before we get sick. You know, maybe we'll never get sick. Maybe we will. We'll have a lesser case of it. Um, but that's the things that we can be doing right now if we have contact with these patients who are sent home from the hospital to convalesce in their homes. You know, we can talk to them about home hydrotherapy. We can talk to them about ear acupressure, right? Or other acupressure points that can help boost immune system function. We can talk to them about homeopathics that may help mitigate their symptoms and make their V's optimize, right? We can talk about a lot of things with our patients so that they don't have to sit back. It will empower them. It will give them the ability to feel like they can do something instead of sit back and wait for their own demise, right? Either they're going to get better or they're going to die of it, right? That's kind of how patients are seeing it today if they're diagnosed. In that model, there's so much fear, right? Because if there's nothing you can do once you get a diagnosis besides wait it out and see if you're going to require an emergency tube being shoved down your throat, well, that's a very fear-based model, right? It's a sad state of affairs where that's kind of where we're at, but it is where we're at, 
right? So I don't agree with that model, but it's where most of our pe people, our patients are operating at right now. So we're kind of constrained to work in the limits of the model that exists currently today. Yeah. It is up to naturopathic doctors to really step out as the leaders and change the model. I agree because I hear that frequently. You know, we need to change the model. We need to change the narrative. I 100% agree with that. But during an outbreak and during the midst of a pandemic, we need to lead by example. You know, quarantining is important because as we talked earlier, it is a new virus that none of us have seen. So it is very naturopathic to avoid illness, right? To avoid a pathogen, to prevent yourself from getting it so that we don't have to treat the symptoms once you do. So quarantining and staying away from this pathogen right now is, is the best way to deal with it because it's the only thing we can do to keep the numbers low enough so that we don't exhaust our healthcare resources. Right. So I think you know, that's a great point about um, why sheltering in place and, you know, taking that preventative step is, is so important. But also, um, as we discussed before this, you know, you're not just doing it for yourself. And I think that you can speak on this a little bit more that um, sheltering in place is not just to protect yourself. I may be infected and perfectly fine because as an HPath doctor, I, I have the tools to uh, prevent myself from, you know, from getting severely ill, but other people may not. And so I think you can maybe attest to this and speak a little bit more about why that is important to consider as well. Well, it is. And, and I, I will agree with our naturopathic constituents that we do have the tools to optimize our immune system and our immune function. So hopefully us as naturopathic doctors don't come down with this virus. I mean, that's my hope for everybody out there. But we shouldn't have a chip on our shoulder that everybody should be living like we are. Now, I, I wish everybody was living like we are. But the reality of the situation is, is that 99% of Americans today think that because they went to Jimmy John's instead of Burger King that they're eating health food, right? That is the, the reality of the, the system we're living in today, right? So, you know, if we say, well, I'm doing everything right, so I should be able to go out in public and go wherever I want because I'm not worried about a virus. I'm not going to get sick. I'll agree with you. You might not get sick. But here's what could happen. You could become an asymptomatic carrier, meaning you have the virus, you don't have symptoms because you are very healthy and robust. But now when you go out into public and you touch something or you cough or you sneeze, you're, you're perfectly able to transmit that virus to people who don't have optimum functioning immune systems or elderly persons who have immunosenescence whose immune systems aren't functioning well anyway, right? So we wanna protect those vulnerable people of our population from getting this virus right now when we have limited resources to deal with it. Now, if they get it four months from now, we have plenty of resources, we have plenty of drugs, we have plenty of things to help them you know, get better fast. It's a different, different strategy. But right now, we need to be able to protect our vulnerable of society while we don't have any resources to help them. You know, there are letters going around from local hospitals that are saying, you know, if you are above a certain age limit, if you have certain comorbid conditions, we will not intubate you if necessary, right? So if you come in, we will use comfort measures only because we can't exhaust our supplies for those that need them. And so we don't want that to happen right now to our vulnerable of society. Every life is valuable. Everybody has worth, whether they're 30 or 83. 
And so we want to be able to lead by example, keep ourselves home out of the fray unless we have to. Listen, I'm going to the hospital because I have to, because we as anesthesia providers are the one to call to put these breathing tubes in patients and to help them. And it's an important job right now. But most of us, if you asked us, would prefer not to be there around this active virus. Uh, so anyway, it's very important to follow the guidelines to stay away and protect our vulnerable component of society. I agree. And then, and also just to recognize that uh, majority of these people that are out there in the healthcare system, like you said, they don't, they don't want to be out there having to work with limited resources and having to work hours on end and having to, to make those tough decisions. And so on our end, I think you made a good point earlier that for those that are sent home, that could be a good area that we come in to help serve by providing telehealth, by providing telemedicine, uh, whatever is available to you within your state and licensure, to, to give some services to those people who don't have options. You know, that, that sounds like a good area. I think a lot of us have been kind of rattling our minds. Okay, what can we as naturopathic doctors do right now? Because we're not a part of the majority of us are not a part of the hospital systems. And so it feels like our hands are tied behind our backs, like we're fairly limited. But I think that that sounds like, at least to me, um, and I'm sure we'll hear you know, later if, it, if it's viable, but it, it sounds like a great place that we can start. And in addition to that, what, what do you think are other ways that naturopathic doctors can be helping at this time? Well, I think we can help by not spreading misinformation, uh, for one, um, for sheltering in place, leading by example, and then talking to people. When I'm in the hospital, I'm, I am constantly talking about the advantages of vitamin C and fighting uh, oxidative stress, right, in that inflammatory cascade. The reason COVID-19 is so dangerous is that it, the inflammation gets so out of control so quickly in the lungs, right, IL-1, IL-6 all of these cytokine storms, these things that, that build up. Cytokines are a necessary component of our immune system. When, when they start to go haywire, there are things in naturopathic medicine that can help rein that immune system function back down and stop the body from overreacting. So talking to our coworkers, you know, in Western medicine, they don't know what exists out there. I said to one of the residents on Friday who was coughing, he said, man, all of my residents are going out. He said, everybody's coming down with this. And I said, well, are you taking your vitamin C? And he goes, why? And I said, well, vitamin C has, and I went into some of the research and he said, oh, I'm going to stop and pick some of that up this weekend. They've never been taught in medical school. Remember, they had one course in nutrition, so they don't understand how important food is, how important nutrients are. And, you know, I will agree that nutrients at some point can become counterproductive, right? They can, um, nutraceuticals can also be suppressive pathologies. So you have to give the right nutraceutical at the right time for the right pathology. But there are simple things that we could do instructing our coworkers that there are things that you can do to optimize your health, getting good sleep. Right now, we're all extremely stressed out, right? We're all, you know, walking around like the boogeyman's going to get us because we, it's a very interesting virus in that some people with comorbid conditions are getting this and it's taking them down. And then you have other people who look like the most unhealthy people on the planet with comorbid conditions get it and they do really well. So it's really really an interesting virus and the way it presents and who it 
takes down. So it's unnerving people, right? We're very on edge because we're like, wow, you know, that really hit that person harder than we thought. And it didn't hit this person hard. Why was that? So I don't really know the answer to that right now, but it has made all of us quite edgy. So, you know, anything that we can do to decrease the stress level of our coworkers and our counterparts and all these people who are on the front line working, you know, and again, sheltering in place so we don't create new cases. If we don't create new cases, then I don't have to intubate more people, right? So if, they, if I don't have people with this virus, then I won't have to put breathing tubes in people that are, you know, succumbing to this illness. So let's try to, to prevent it. But, you know, good water, good food. Honestly, Western medicine has no idea the effect of food. The hospital, every day, pretty much, we have people bringing in big, huge sheet cakes of sugar, right, and genetically modified foods, and no idea how those foods are affecting the immune systems of the workers who are in the trenches with the active virus. So, you know, pizza parties, right? They're bringing pizza in because they want to try to help the delivery in the small mom. And I get that, I helping small businesses out, but pizza, you know, gluten and dairy can be very immune suppressive for people. So feeding people that followed up by a big slice of cake probably isn't the right thing to do right now. Um, but, you know, that is a morale booster. So I think we have to find better ways to boost morale than doing it with food, placating people with a bunch of sugar. But I do a lot of talking about about nutrition and about vitamin C and optimizing vitamin D levels and, um, you know, getting good sleep and drinking clean water. You know, we don't drink a lot of water as healthcare workers because we're in the trenches and we're busy working. And since we can't touch our face right now, it's really hard to drink water when you have a, a mask on your face that you can't even barely breathe through. So, you know, we're dehydrated. So all of our determinants of health um, as healthcare workers are being not optimized and certainly our patients are as well because we've got masks on our patients too so they're not optimizing those just basic determinants yeah. so all of the things that we naturally do as naturopathic doctors we are applied here applicable here right and you um, had also mentioned that I believe your clinic um, and I think this is just a good example of what we can be doing for those that are currently serving the communities at large if you want to share what your clinic is doing Yes, my clinic is called Holgistic and it's from Royal Oak and we offer 10% off IV vitamins IVs for frontline workers. So mind you, we do low dose unless we do a G6PD blood test showing that they don't have the G6PD deficiency. But otherwise, we're just doing a, a you know a low dose vitamin C IV to help boost immune system, and we we're marking it off for healthcare providers and people who are on the front lines. We also offer things like antiviral teas. We are have one of the only herbal dried botanical dispensaries in Michigan. So we have all of the dried herbs. So I made a botanical blend with lemon balm and Skullcap. Um, Skullcap has been shown in the first coronavirus to work against some of the molecular targets. So we put a, a nice dried tea together. We have lots of other things at our disposal and we mark them off for healthcare workers. So if we can, you know, help in that way, just providing the things yeah. that people need and free clinical, you know, or not free, but 30 minute clinical consults, you know, with people who can call in and say, what can I do right now? We're happy to be on the other end of the phone to do those clinical consults with people 30 minutes uh, for a nominal fee and we can sit and talk about what they can do to optimize their health. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I'm trying to offer as well. Um, and I think it's just important as, as we're figuring out and gathering more information on this, um, just to find ways to reach out in any way that we can, because I know a lot of us have so much to offer. And so it's a matter of, of 
of getting that out into the world. And I just wanted to kind of bring this back a little bit just to give a few more clinical ideas of how COVID is presenting in patients because I think it sounds like as we gather more information, we're noticing more cardiovascular issues and even, you know, effects of the nervous system. And so I'd love to kind of hear um, how you have seen this progress and, and kind of how, you know, a patient comes in and, and what it looks like to, to see the presentation of the pathology. Yes. Fever, cough, and sore throat are the most common things that we're seeing. So a lot like influenza, that's why I think people at the beginning thought this was just an influenza virus because it does pre present very similarly. There are some patients who get a GI, a diarrhea along with it, and COVID is known to be able to be passed by the fecal oral route as well. So there are some GI symptoms that go along with it. Um, the interesting part about the lung is it's a dry cough. It's not a productive cough in most people. And if you lose your sense of smell or taste, that is pretty pathognomonic for corona, this coronavirus. It's very interesting. People, there were a couple of the residents that got this. Said, the first thing I lost was my sense of smell and taste immediately before I had any other symptoms. So if you lose your sense of smell or taste, this is when you want to start implementing all of those things you know how to do to optimize your immune system. Them. You can take vitamin C at home and you can take pretty decent doses. We're home, we're by a bathroom, so if we take too much, it's a good place to be. <laughs> so, um, you know, large doses of vitamin C and, you know, some vitamin D and optimizing your immune system when you start getting symptoms again before you get symptoms would be the best time to really institute these things. But it presents very much like a common cold, um, although a little more severe. The fever and the chills I have heard are very, very significant. Uh, the chills are like to the bone, under the for a couple of days and same with the fever it's unrelenting for a couple of days um, so those are the things that we see most commonly as it progresses it's almost as if the lungs just quit um, so patients will come in and in a, within a matter of about an hour and a half to two hours we've seen them just deteriorate so their oxygen saturations will be in the, maybe the low 90s when they come back in and within an hour and a half they'll be in the 70s and requiring ventilation assistance so um, oxygenation at that point is so significantly compromised that the only way that we can increase the oxygen levels is giving them 100% oxygen using something called PEEP, some positive end expiratory pressure to really facilitate oxygenation at the tissue level. So um, it is um, pretty significant when people come back in, because um, again, we usually send them home to convalesce, and then if they come back in with the respiratory symptoms, it's pretty significant. It's, it's very significant. Okay. All right. And um, so is that kind of when you start to see a patient dip into that severe? Yes. Yes. When they come back in, if their oxygen levels are dropping, usually the only thing that will work at that point, because it's the virus is replicating so quickly now in the lungs and in the body, and it works on the ACE2 receptor. So that's found in heart and lungs. And again, there's some controversy. Do ACE drugs, ACE inhibitors like lisinopril, anything that and an april is an ACE inhibitor. So there was some talk that if you were on these drugs and you had hypertension, then theoretically maybe your viral uptake was bigger, was was greater because you had an upregulation of these ACE2 receptors. But the Society of Cardiology, I think it was in England, put out a letter saying that actually long term the ACE inhibitors uh, decreased leakiness of our, our fluid and our, our vessels, so it actually prevented some of the extravasation of fluid. That actually can be helpful. So you know, I certainly would not tell somebody to take stop taking their blood pressure medications, but hopefully in the future we'll have more evidence 
evidence um, to support whether this ACE2, whether taking an ACE or an ARB, um, ACE inhibitor really added to the pathology of this or if it actually protected patients. So hopefully in the future with as many cases that we've had worldwide and we're able to track who was on ACE inhibitors or not, hopefully we'll have some good data for a future outbreak if this happens. The thing with the coronavirus is, you know, theoretically, you could get it again because that's the nature of a virus is that they mutate. So nobody wants to hear this, and I certainly don't want to say it, but if you get one form of coronavirus and then next year it mutates and comes back, you know, the protection you have from this year's virus isn't going to protect you against next year's virus because it's a novel, another novel strain. So hopefully we'll have some more information as we look at the data now coming in and compiling on the patients that do have and the patients that don't fare well versus the patients who recover pretty easily. 80% of the people that get this um, recover very, have a common cold and recover. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a very small percentage of people that get this and go down the line of having to require ventilator assistance and, you know, and, and pass away. Yeah, and I think that it's important to kind of consider okay, what next? So what are, what are our next steps as a naturopathic community to take to prevent if this does come back, if it does occur again, or even just stick around for, you know, it, it could be some time yet that it, that it lingers. And so what are ways that we can just really amplify what we've already been doing, which is supporting our innate healing processes? So how can we really amplify and, and just get the information and education out there in case, you know, this is a recurring thing? Well, I want to say that, you know, we hear on the news every day, if you turn it on, that there's going to be a vaccine for this in the next, you know, 15 months or so. I'm hoping that in the next 15 months, we're done with this outbreak, right? And at that point, we won't require a vaccine. The issue with just like the influenza vaccine, and it doesn't have a great success uh, efficacy profile because that virus mutates readily, right? The influenza virus changes very quickly. So to come up with a vaccine for the influenza virus when it quickly mutates is difficult. So they put four strains sometimes, it depends on the vaccine you get and the maker, but there are some vaccines that have four strains of flu virus in them to try to protect you the best you can from a mutating virus. With this coronavirus, if they come up with a coronavirus vaccine, it will cover this strain of the coronavirus. But next year, like we said, if it comes back as a mutated form, well, then that virus, that vaccine isn't going to protect you to to that strain, the new strain coming out. So, you know, we need to come up with something better than the vaccine route, because I don't think it's going to work for it, just like it doesn't work well for influenza. I don't think it's going to work well for coronavirus. And the drugs that we have that have been around for 70 years, chloroquine, hydroxychloroquine, they are working well for this with azithromycin, zithromax. We're having a very good, um, it looks like, we're at the beginning, the data is starting to come out, that that is having a very successful treatment regimen for patients. So it, they're very safe drugs. I mean, yes, they have side effects. All drugs do. Um, Is it optimal? Would we love every patient to stay off pharmaceuticals if they could? Absolutely. But when needed, these pharmaceuticals are having a very promising response on this virus. So um, they're difficult to get uh, because everybody's stockpiling them now because we know that they're working. Um, But 
you know, let's keep in mind that there are things working on this. It's just the supply chain is the problem is getting it, getting enough of it to the patients that need it. Right. So it seems like right now um, the focus is more so just reducing the overall load on the healthcare system, supporting our healthcare workers by reaching out, offering services to help them through this um, and, you know, to keep them well, <laughs> um, but then also offering up educational tools for our patients. Are there, is there anything else that um, that we haven't covered that you would really like the naturopathic community to be aware of or to know or to understand um, just about our current circumstances or otherwise? Well, I, I will address a little bit. It's hard. In Michigan, we're in an unlicensed, pre-licensed state, I like to call it. Yeah. Um, so it's hard to have the skills as a physician and not be able to get into the fight. And I, I understand and I feel for everybody out there because I'm in the same boat. The only reason I'm treating it as much as I am, as I'm in the hospital as in a different role, right? And it's hard being in the hospital with the knowledge that I have and all of the things that I know for prevention and having to see what's happening to patients and not being able to do anything about it. So I feel for you, I'm in the same boat as you are. But we need to understand that we will have our day, we will have our time. People are waking up to the importance of really the body. I will say since this has all started, the one thing that I have taken away that I see as a very positive note is there have never been more people out walking in my neighborhood since this started that I've seen about 50 people walk past my house today and it's so windy out, not the greatest out. You know, People are starting, I know they're a little stir crazy and that's probably where they're out, but they're starting to make the connection that, hey, maybe I should get out and move. Maybe that would be good for me. Maybe these things do matter. So the more we talk and how we talk and, and if we have some compassion for those who are dealing within the confines of a broken system, it is a broken system that we are forced to work within. And again, do I wish everybody had the knowledge that we have? Yes, and we're going to get there. In the next 15 years, I think we're going to be having a very different conversation that we are today because people are going to understand more and more how important their food and water and hydration and the air they breathe and the relationships that they have. They're going to understand the importance of those things. It's going to be a slow climb, but we're going to get there. So I want people to understand that I, I feel their pain. I know they want to get into the fight and help people. You can. All those 2,500 people that we're sending away from the hospital with a positive COVID test need our input. And how is the best way to get to it? There are local radio stations and TV stations that are right now opening up the airwaves to whoever want to, wants to come. I, lo I did a local uh, TV show here for Holgistic, uh, and we went in and we talked about these same issues. So we can get information out there um, to people appropriately. And that's going to be our way out of this is educate, educate, educate. That's why we went to school. That's why we did so many pe presentations in school. <laughs> yeah. Right? So we can teach Doctor people. teacher. That's right. That's yeah. right. And so that's going to be our way out of this. Thank you. And I think that that is a good place to leave this. Um, I hope that everyone has gained some very valuable insight and information as to where we are currently at and what we can be doing as naturopathic doctors to really support our community, our workers, to help get through this. And as Jill said, we have so much to offer and so we need to practice our principles of doctor as teacher and just get out there and help to educate the best we can and support the best that we can. 
you get out there as long as you're six feet from somebody else. <laughs> yes, and by get out there, I mean get out on the internet, <laughs> safely, <laughs> safely teach people the best that we can. <laughs> right, exactly. All right, well, thank you so much, Dr. Right, thank you. You may, I appreciate it. Yes, it's been wonderful. All right, we're signing out. Bye. Bye.